All right, well, uh, Jonah, Jonah, uh, chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 16 today, and as we kind of like to do, uh, we're going to read the text, and then we will pray, and we'll unpack it together. Are you good with that? You good with that? I know some people are wondering, why, do, why did you choose Jonah? And um, well, I'll tell you the reason why is because, um, I don't know if you know, if you rearrange the letters in Jonah, you'll get the name John. And I miss John, so we're just going back to Jonah. We spent a year in John, and that was a good time. No, I'm just joking about all that. Notice that later. Coincidence, I guess. But... Um, no, I felt like this is what God wanted for us in these uh, few weeks. It's going to be a short series. It's a short book. And so we'll spend four weeks in the book of Jonah. We're going to jump into John, Jonah, cha- John, see, there we go. <laughs> Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 16, and, uh, and we'll pray. Are you ready? ready? I'm excited about the book of Jonah. It's going to be a good time. Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Rise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Uh, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare and went down down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the See, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then... The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for your presence and activity uh, in this room and in our lives. Um, God, I thank you uh, for just allowing us to gather today to worship you and to hear from you. And Lord, I thank you for um, preserving the the book of Jonah for us to learn 
um, to learn about how to walk with you and, and be obedient to you and, and, and your grace and mercy on our lives, God. So I pray that today it would be a profitable time in your word, that you would guide my speech and, um, and my words. I'd only say what you want me to say, God, nothing less, nothing more. I pray that, um, that you would speak in this time and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, so let's just go back to verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying to Jonah. So who is Jonah? This is the book we're studying. What's the book about? Who is it about? Well, one thing to note, uh, just introductory remarks, context, is that this is a true story. True story. Um, Jonah was a prophet in 2 Kings 14.25. We see that he prophesied uh, under the rule of uh, King Jeroboam II. And so he's a historical person uh, mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. Um, and then Jesus referenced Jonah as a historical person in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, comparing uh, his ministry to uh, kind of the narrative of Jonah. And so Jesus, when Jesus says someone's real, we just believe him, right? Or at least that's my kind of rule. Um, this uh, book was written around 760 B.C. It took place in a period of time. It's a true story. Um, the, word jo the name Jonah means dove, and we think, oh, dove, like peaceful dove. No, um, I guess you could think that, but they would have thought, as we think, that doves are kind of silly little birds, and doves are scared easily, and they flee easy, right? You've never walked up on a bird and grabbed it, have you? No, because they fly away. You walk up on a bird, they flee. And that's kind of the, the story of Jonah. It's like he, you, God comes up on Jonah and he runs and he flees. But Amittai, his dad, is, uh, means truth. And so that's kind of a fitting name for a prophet. At least that's what you want your prophet to be is the son of truth, right? Um, so he's got some good things going for him, but there's some things he's trying to work through. And the story of Jonah, here's an important note, the story of Jonah is for adults, right? Because I think um, most of us have probably heard the story of Jonah or you're familiar with the story of Jonah, right? But very few people have actually studied the book of Jonah. And what do you think of whenever you think of the story of Jonah? You think of Jonah and... The whale, right? The fish. Look at this. LaShawn gave me this this morning. Our children's director, she's so thoughtful. And she knew we were studying Jonah starting today, so she gave me this. It's like a rubber ducky, but it's a rubber whale. And uh, just for me to have something to, to hold on to uh, during this series and to, and to calm me down, you know? I guess I can use it as like a stress ball or something. And uh, because this is what we think of. Whenever you grab a, a children's book on Jonah, what's on the cover? A big fish, right? A whale, probably. And, um, and I am grateful. I love this thing. Thank you. It's probably going to spend the whole series with us up here. Um, so I appreciate this. But the story's not about a fish. It's not about, the fish shows up in two sentences in the whole story. And uh, somehow we kind of make that the whole thing. It's an interesting thing. It's a miraculous thing. But it's not the main thing. The main characters in the uh, story of Jonah are... God and Jonah. Those are the main characters. And uh, so we can't forget what it's about. And I think when we think of Jonah, we think of children's books. But the book of Jonah is, um, uh, is for adults. It's complex. 
and it uh, is an incredible story about our uh, rebellion, but God's relentless grace for those he loves. And, uh, and so he's just kind of going after, so it's a true story, it's a story for us, it's for adults, we're going to take four weeks to study this verse by verse, and um, here's the outline for today, I don't have the most clever outline for today, it's kind of just giving us some, uh, some markers for how this text breaks down, and here's the outline, I'm going to give it all to you at one time, the first thing is that um, God calls, and then Jonah runs, and then God pursues, and then the sailors surrender. And then that's kind of the twist at the end. It's not kind of what you would expect. But the book of Jonah is all filled with stuff you wouldn't expect. It's prophetic, um, but unlike other prophecies, most prophetic books in the Bible record the message of a prophet. But the book of Jonah records almost nothing that he says. The, nearly the entire thing is what the prophet experienced. And so it's a narrative story of what the prophet experienced, but it's written uh, with a lot of satire. There's a lot of humor and um, exaggeration, and there's um, a lot of sarcasm. And so it's it's a funny book for the most part because every couple of verses we're we're met with like, what? Like, (laughs) what? that happened? He did that? He said that? What, what is that all about? And I'm sure as you, if you study the book of Jonah afresh, you're probably going to find yourself going, what? A lot. Um, because it is a, a surprising, uh, surprising book. And so the first thing is this, that God calls. God calls. Let's just jump back into verse 1. Now the word of the Lord uh, came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. So God, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. We're not quite sure how it comes to Jonah. Is it a dream? Is he show up? Is it audible? We're not totally sure, but it kind of just starts right off the bat. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and uh, prophets, their job was to hear from God and then to tell people what God said. And so The word of the Lord came to Jonah and says, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Now, Nineveh was um, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, This is modern-day Iraq. It was the most um, powerful nation in the known world at the time. And, um, And it's Israel's number one enemy. And, and God's like, hey, their wickedness has come up before me. Like, God, um, he has to deal with wickedness. Wickedness offends a holy God. And they are evil, and God has to do something about wickedness in our lives and in their life. And so he says, I'm going to deal with this. Go to them. We're going to talk about their wickedness a little bit more in just a minute. But I want, I want the word of the Lord came to him and tells him to go to the, the other nations, a nation that wasn't Jewish, it was Gentile, but it wasn't just Gentile, it was someone, it was their enemy, and he tells them to go, and um, I think we got to see the fact that God also calls us to, that this, the, the word of the Lord coming to Jonah is not just for Jonah, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives us a call to go, very similarly, 
He says in Matthew 28, uh, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, uh, believers, if you're a follower of Christ, we've talked about this the last few weeks, if you're a follower of Christ, you are called to go. God has that call on your life too. And when we are slow to tell people about Jesus or don't tell people at all, we're going down the same road that Jonah did. We're rebelling against a great commission. And so God calls, and the second thing is that Jonah runs. So look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of uh, the Lord. And so, so God's like, go, and Jonah just ran, um, which is not a really good thing for a prophet to do. It's like prophets that think those, those are the people who like it's their job to do what God says. And um, the, the significance of Tarshish is that Tarshish was the furthest possible place in the other direction. It was the furthest place in the known world at the time. So, so Nineveh uh, is like 500 miles um, in one direction, about a 30-day journey. And Tarshish is like 2,000 to 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Some, some estimate six months, a year journey uh, via boat. And so um, he goes, it's like God calling you to go preach in Florida, and so you head off to California. It's like the furthest possible option. I'm getting out of town. I'm going in the, the opposite direction. He just runs from God. And it says here that he, he, he rose and flee, fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, how can you flee from the presence of the Lord? He's a prophet. He had to have known what David said in Psalm 139, uh, where he says in verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I... If I take the wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. Jonah had to have known there's nowhere you can go from the presence of God. He's everywhere. Maybe he, um, maybe he wanted to flee from the manifest presence of God that, that dwelt in Israel. That's a possibility. But I think ultimately what he's trying to do is, is quit. He's, this is, this is an action of resignation. It's, God, I'm done being a prophet. I'm going to leave the holy city and go as far away from what you've called me to as possible. And so he goes and he finds this boat. Like things seem to be going well for him. He gets to the dock. His destination is Tarshish. And he finds a ship going to Tarshish. What are the chances? It's not like today where you can just book a flight and go wherever you want to go and you might be delayed or get a canceled flight from time to time, but for the most part, you show up at the airport, you're going to get on a plane to go where you want to go. It's not like that. And so he shows up at the dock and, and lo and behold, where I, the ship where I want to go is right there. And he has money to pay the fare to get. So he, he must, he, I mean, many people could be like, man, God's really blessing this journey of his. He's, he, things are just falling into place. Everything's coming together. 
and, and, and here's just a, what I want to point out is that um, things falling into place doesn't always mean it's God's plan for your life. Like sometimes God lets things come together in the wrong direction. And so sometimes we think, man, things are going smooth, things are going well. Must be God's will. And not always. I mean, in this case, God's will for him was to go to a difficult task, a hard journey, but anyways, um, he goes the opposite direction and things are going well. Why did Jonah run, you think? Why did Jonah run? And we could speculate. Was it the distance? Was it like, man, that's a long journey. I don't feel like going on. It was a 30-day journey or so. Walk to go to, I don't really, that's kind of long. I don't think it's the distance because he went a significantly further journey to try to get away from God. So, but was it the danger? Was it the danger of maybe I, they'll kill me? You know, Nineveh was Israel's number one enemy. And uh, it's the largest uh, nation with a ruthless army. And they were cruel and torturous in their warfare. Let me tell you a little bit about um, how evil a Nineveh was. Or Assyria was. Um, occasionally, when it was rumored that the, the Syrians were going to attack your city, sometimes the whole town would commit suicide. It's like, I would just rather die than deal with what's going to come my way when they get here. That's wild. When they would take over a city, they would rape and kill the women. They would torture children many times. Uh, they would take the men as prisoners of war. They would take them outside of the city, skin them alive, bury them in the sand of the desert up to their necks, pull their tongue out of their mouth and run a peg through it so that they would suffer and just slow, painful, grueling death. Many people would go crazy before they actually even died because of how, how this torturous they were. Then after you died, they, they, they would cut their heads off and, and, and place them, kind of stack them up in a pyramid outside of the city gates so that all who went through there knew um, the Assyrians conquered this place. You, you want to you come against us? This is what you're coming against. Yeah. People hated the Assyrians. Hated them. And um, so maybe Jonah was like afraid. Like, what if I go there and they just kill me? I start my speech and they just stab me. Like, what, what, he could have been afraid. And I think that's, that's a probable thing to think. The only problem with that is that Jonah actually tells us why he ran. And it's not because of the danger. As uh, real as that was. He tells us in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, because after he goes to Nineveh, finally, he uh, preaches, they repent, and he's upset that they repent, and he tells God in this kind of uh, sob story that he's giving in chapter 4, verse 2, he's, he's like, look, I didn't want to go to Tarshish. I fled, I fled to go to Tarshish. I didn't want to go to Nineveh, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So why didn't Jonah want to go? Because he knew that God is a gracious and forgiving God. And if he preached repentance, and by the far chance that they actually repented, God was going to be gracious to them. And he didn't want grace for his enemies. 
He wanted judgment for his enemies. Is this how we do it? Like, we're like, God, I want you to show your wrath to my enemies and show your grace to me. Right? I want you to show your judgment for them and show your mercy for me. He couldn't imagine his worst enemies experiencing the same grace of God that he enjoyed. And uh, imagine, this is uh, like what is a more recent example of what this would be like. Imagine uh, a Jewish man in New York City during World War II and and then hearing God say, I'm going to bring terrible judgment on Germany, so I want you to go to Berlin and tell Nazi Germany to repent. Like, I don't, think, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't think that's something that I'm going to do. I'm actually going to go in the opposite direction. And here's kind of the point, is that God um, often calls us to do things that we don't want to do. He often calls us to do things that we don't want to do. I think sometimes we glamorize the call of God to where we're like, hey, if God calls us to do something, it's going to be something that I enjoy, that I love all the time, that I'm perfectly gifted in, that every day I just wake up and say, God, it's so good to be with you today, and I can't wait to serve you today. And and there are days like that, but a lot of the days are he's calling you to do stuff that's going to make you uncomfortable, that you don't want to do. Sometimes you despise doing. That's what he called Jonah to do. I mean, what would you do? Let's Let's bring it a little closer to home. I'll tread lightly here. But what would you do if God called you to bring the gospel to a member of the opposite political party than you? What would you do if God told you to bring the gospel to a Trump rally? Maybe some of you would really enjoy that. But what would you do if he told you to bring the gospel to a Black Lives Matter protest? What would you do if he told you to bring the gospel... um, to an abortion doctor or to bring the gospel to a group of Muslims, what would you do then? Would you go with joy? Say, yes, Lord, my pleasure. Or would you say, no, God, those aren't really my type of people. Not really gifted in that. I I don't think I'm going to go there. It's getting a little closer to the idea here. Saying, I don't want what's best for them. I want them to stay separated from you. And um, we got to quit thinking of uh, categories of you have those people who are beyond the reach of God and then there's us good, godly, Christian American people. Like we we gotta we gotta get rid of that because we're all uh, sinners in need of a savior and praise God that His grace came to me and to you and the majority of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, are what would be considered biblically Gentiles. We are the others, and God uh, praise God that He sent His chosen people to bring the gospel to us others. And for us then to hold it near and say, no, this grace is for me, no one else. Yeah, then we'll be running from God doing what Jonah did. So this really kind of, this whole idea of running from God, 
boils down to, I, um, I, I want to do what I want to do. I want to be in charge of my life. I don't want God or anyone else telling me what to do and what I can do and can't do. And this uh, works its way out not just in witnessing or evangelism or telling people the gospel. It works its way out in every area of our life. What is, we all have a, a thing that, uh, that pulls us away from God. We all have different bents of sinfulness. And so, some people, it's, it's uh, an addiction. And maybe it's alcohol. And you have some Christians who are like, yeah, well, I don't struggle with that. I mean, get on my high horse. Like, that's not my thing. I can't believe they struggle with that and call themselves Christian. And it's like, yeah, but you have a thing. And maybe your thing is like, you like to want things that other people have. And sometimes the fact that they have good things makes you a little angry. You don't like the fact that your coworker is able to drive a nicer car than you whenever you work the same job and you can't seem to afford that. And you're like, well, that's not fair. And you have this thing in you. Or maybe it's a, a, a lust issue or whatever it is. We all have the thing that draws us and pulls us away from God. And whenever we uh, give into those things, it's us essentially saying, um, God, you know, I know this is what, I've, I've heard your word. I know what you to say about it. But I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to obey you or walk with you in this. So Jonah runs. But praise God, he pursues. So let's look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So God chases after those he loves. And sometimes God will send a storm into your life to get your attention. Sometimes some things will go bad to, to kind of shake you and rattle you and get your attention. And, and that's what's happening here. God sends this storm and, and, and things, the ship is threatening to break up. Like no one likes to be on a plane and hear weird noises during turbulence. Like that's what's happening. And... Uh, it's interesting that it's like the only time, one of the only times that the Bible attributes thoughts to an inanimate object. Look, it says, so the ship threatened to break up. Like, whenever the ship's like, whoa, I'm out of this. Like, this is crazy. You know it's a bad storm. So, verse 4, verse 5, I'm sorry. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship and to the sea to lighten them. But Jonah had gone into the inner parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So um, th these guys uh, spent their lives on the sea. These uh, were sailors. They ran this ship. And so this is what they did for a living. So you know whenever, um, whenever they're scared, <laughs> they're like, whenever you have, th these are pagan, polytheistic sailors. And whenever these guys begin to pray, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is serious. This is serious. And, um, and so they're like, they, they start, first they try to do what they can do, start throwing over cargo, losing their load, losing money by throwing things over because they're scared for their lives. And man, this, this storm brought on by Jonah's rebellion has cost them their cargo, their livelihood, potentially, potentially their lives. 
And uh, I think it's just showing us that, hey, our sin affects those around us. And one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that your little sin, that little pet sin that you like to partake in, um, and, and the enemy will say, hey, this doesn't, this doesn't affect, this is just you. This doesn't affect anybody around you as long as you're not hurting anyone. As long as it's not hurting anyone, it's okay to do. That is a lie from the enemy. Um, hey, divorce hurts your kids. Addiction hurts your marriage. Greed hurts your church family. We could go on and on. That our sin, as private as you think you've kept it, affects those around you, hurts those around you. I think what we see here in the, in the fact that this horrible storm, God is threatening to just kill everybody on this boat with this storm that's, that's raging around them. It shows God's seriousness that He takes sin. That our sin produces the wrath of God. That God has just wrath against our sin. And it should be, it's serious and it affects those around us. I think the, the, uh, the great thing about this is that God pursues you. That this is his relentless grace. And so as I say those things, and you're thinking about the thing that's hurt someone in your life, like, I don't want you to experience uh, shame and guilt. I want you to experience the reality that I'm a sinner in need of grace, and God is a gracious God who pursues me and forgives me. And that's what's happening in the story of Jonah. And so Jonah, verse 5, he goes down. So things all raging. Jonah, gone down into the inner parts of the ship, laid down, and was fast asleep. Like, how? How? How could he sleep? How could he sleep in this storm? He's fast asleep. Like he's in a deep sleep. He's in REM sleep. Um, how could he sleep in this storm? Well, one thing I think is that running away from God is exhausting. It's exhausting, isn't it? You ever told a lie and it took you like 10 times as much work to just keep that lie going as it did if you just told the truth? And it's like it's exhausting. To run away from God, and that, I think he's experiencing that. But I think um, more than that, this shows that Jonah is apathetic towards God and towards the eternal condition of others. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's asleep. And how many Christians are asleep while the world is falling apart around them? The world is raging and falling apart and things, terrible things are going on in our world right now, and how many Christians are just falling asleep, just deep asleep, just, just hurled up and feeling sorry for ourselves and not doing anything. You have these pagans who, who don't have the true solution, but at least they're trying something. These pagans, they don't know the true God, but they're like, they're working. They're like, we're going to do what we can do. We're going to throw these things overboard. They're going to pray. They're like exhausting all their options. But then the man of God who has the true solution is doing nothing. He's doing nothing. And man, the brokenness of our world requires children of God, people of God who have the true solution to a broken world to actually do something, to pray, to work, to move. So, uh, verse 6. So the captain came and said to them, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, 
Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. So the captain comes to Jonah. Now here's the thing. If you're on a, if you're on a plane and you experience some turbulence, you're like, oh, this is unsettling. When the captain comes over the loudspeaker like, everybody pray, you're like, we're going to die. That's, that's how serious this is. The captain's like, you better start praying, dude. We're all praying. You better pray. That's how serious this, 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 this storm is. And the, the pagan captain has more faith than the prophet of God. We have prayerful pagans and a prayerless prophet. It's all backwards. We're supposed to see the contrast between these two people, the sailors and Jonah. So verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, uh, lot casting was a common way to decide things in this ancient culture, and um, it was probably something like rolling dice or drawing straws. Um, some believe it was probably like a few colored stones, and they'd roll the colored stones, and the one that had color on it, whichever person that fell on, that was uh, you know, God's way of deciding or answering the question that you had when you cast lots. So they cast these lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Coincidence? I think not. Probably not. So God, even through these pagan sailors lot casting, points them right to Jonah. And so then they say, um, then they said to him, um, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? So they're like, who are you? Who did we let on our ship? What have you done? So they're like interviewing him in the middle of a storm. So you can imagine they're holding on, soaking wet, yelling across the ship to one another. Verse uh, 9, and so Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. Hebrew meaning uh, an Israelite. I'm one of the chosen people of the true God who, who's freed us from Egypt. I'm an Israelite, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Do, do, do you think he feared the Lord? It doesn't seem like it. It seemed like these pagans feared the Lord more than, than Jonah the prophet did. Um, you, can you can have a correct confession without true salvation. Like, like knowing God is more than just um, believing right doctrine. And, and so there's so many people, especially in the uh, American church, that, man, we have a good confession. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But the, the confession of our lives actually uh, proves otherwise. Yeah, I, say, I fear the Lord. I'm a godly man. Yeah, but, but how do you handle business dealings? Are you honest? Are you fair? Are you somewhat of integrity? Like, does your life show and prove that you fear the Lord? And so he says, I fear the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. Like, yeah, so this is a, a great idea, Jonah. Like, why in the world, if, you, if your God made the sea, would you get on a boat to run from him? Not so smart. But he doesn't seem to be thinking, and I think the sailors are beginning to realize that. Uh, verse 10 uh, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They're recognizing that Jonah is stupid. Verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us so that the sea is just getting worse and worse? Verse 12, He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So he's like, hey, hurl me into the sea. And they're like, hurl yourself into the sea. Like not only does he not care for the lives of these sailors, now he's wanting to turn them into murderers by causing them to be the the means by which he is killed. He doesn't know there's a big fish waiting on him. He, He hasn't read the book of Jonah yet. And so he thinks, you throw me in the sea, I'm dead. And so he's trying to put his blood on their hands now. And uh, he doesn't have the courage to just do it himself, to sacrifice himself for for the sake of others. Nope. Some see this as a selfless act of compassion by Jonah. Look at him willing to give up his life so that the sailors may be saved. Oh, Jonah. Oh, Jonah. No, that's not what's happening. Um, this is uh, not compassion by Jonah. This is a last and final effort uh, by Jonah to run from God's call to go to Nineveh. He's like, I would rather die than obey God. So this is one last effort on his behalf to run from God. It's not an act of compassion. I'm sure that he knew, if he, we were revealed early, later that he knew God is a gracious and a, and a forgiving and compassionate and merciful God to those who repent. I'm sure he knew if he would have repented that God would have relented and that the whole storm would have been gone and they would have been saved. He had to have known this, but he refused. Why didn't he just say, all right, guys, this is my fault. God, I'm I'm sorry. Forgive me, God. I've run from you as far as I can go. Please forgive me. I repent. I'll go to Nineveh. I'm sure he knew if he did that, the storm was going to cease. And they would take him right back to where he came from, I guarantee you. (laughs) Getting you off this boat. But he didn't. He didn't. He was selfish until he uh, thought he was dying. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So they're working hard, doing everything in their own strength, which is kind of this picture of the fact that, you know, they were told the solution. The solution, throw me into the sea. They just try to do it in their own strength. There's a solution to our sin problem that is trusting in Christ, and whenever we try to do it in our own strength, it doesn't work out. It just kind of rages against us. So they're, they're trying to work hard, but, I mean, give it to them. They didn't want to kill Jonah. He's like, hurl me into the sea. They're like, no, we're not doing that. I mean, they didn't want to have the blood on their hands. But I think also they're like, if the God of this storm wants Jonah and we kill Jonah, he might kill us. Like, I, don't, I think they're not like, they're like, I don't know that the storm is going to stop if we kill you. And so they're, they're not willing to to uh, let him go yet. In verse 14, so therefore they called to the Lord. So they're trying, but it's not working. So therefore they called to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life 
and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done what's pleased you. So here, here, we, here again, we have these pagan people who are praying for forgiveness and mercy to the true God, and the prophet has yet to pray. He's like willing to go to his grave without talking to God. And again, we just see this contrast. And in verse 15, so they picked Jonah up, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Miracle. Miracle. Everybody just say it. Miracle. That's right. So the storm came in a moment, was going to kill everybody. As soon as they throw Jonah over, calm. And so then the sailors are like, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The idea is that God here is coming after Jonah. And he sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. He does whatever it takes to pursue us and to come after us, even though we're rebellious and run. He's gracious and merciful and kind in that. So God pursues, and the final thing that happens here, it's kind of like a, like a plot twist, what's going on here, is the sailors surrender. The sailors surrender. Let's just review these last few verses as we consider this. Nevertheless, verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So whenever they find out that in our own strength, we can't cause this to get better, we can't save ourselves, what do they do in verse 14? They called out to the Lord. In my Bible, it is all capitalized. I'm sure it's the same in your Bible, L-O-R-D. And whenever you have the word Lord in the Bible, capitalized like that, it's indicating to you that that is the covenant name of God. This is Yahweh. And so, um, so then they begin to call out to Yahweh by name. Um, they called out to the Lord, Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done what's pleased you. So they're seeking God's mercy. They're actually showing true fear of the Lord. They're seeking His forgiveness and His grace. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord, Yahweh, exceedingly. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. Now, um, so the sacrifice of Jonah, sacrificing Jonah, secured their salvation. That's what it took. Um, these pagan sailors are in a progression towards God while the prophet of God is in a progression away from him. And some would argue that these are polytheistic sailors. They believe in many gods, the sun god, the sea god, you know, the land god, all the different gods, the rain god. They, they're polytheistic, and so whenever they cry out to Yahweh, they're probably just adding him to like their you know, arsenal of other gods that they worship. And that could be true. We don't have enough information to say definitively, but it seems like whenever they're making sacrifices to the one true God and making vows, many speculate that these vows could possibly be vows of we worship you alone. When we get off this boat, you are our God. And could be, that's speculation, I have to admit. But I think um, 
in the story of Jonah, it is wanting us to see this contrast between Jonah, the person who is professing to know God and should know better, should fear the Lord, versus these pagan people who are so far from God. But the same storm that they're all experiencing together causes one person to move further away from God and, and the other to come in nearness and relationship with God. And if, if there's someone to imitate in this story, it's the sailors. It's like recognize your sinfulness and turn to God for forgiveness. And so um, I think one of the big pictures of this text in, in verses 1 through 16 is that um, running leads to ruin. That running from God leads to ruin. It like running away uh, from God doesn't make your life go up. It makes your life go down. We see this downward spiral in the book of Jonah. Let's just look briefly in verse 3. It says that he went down into Joppa. Verse 3 again says he went down onto the ship. Verse 5 says he went down into the innermost parts of the ship. And then in verse 5 again he says he, went, he laid down to go fast asleep. So it's this down, 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 down. Running away from God does not cause your life to go up. It causes your life to go down. It always costs you something. It hurts you. It's been said that it costs you more than you want to pay. It'll take you further than you want to go. And it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. Rebelling against God. Your sin. That's what it does to you. Like we run from God because we want to do what we want to do. But then it ends up harming us. We have uh, twins, they're 16 months old now, and uh, yesterday I got the privilege of watching them all day by myself. And, and uh, you know, these are, I tell you, I think they spend half the time just smacking their head against the ground. Um, these are, I would just, we could probably rename them to just rumble and tumble. These are like the sons of thunder. These are, you know, so they're um, adventurous little boys, and uh, I read particularly, believe it or not, you know, he's usually the kind of calm one, but yesterday he was uh, doing some things. So we have this little, you know, like a rocking horse. Well, this is like a rocking chicken. And so he's got this little rocking chicken. He loves riding on this thing, but lately he's been wanting to like put his feet on the back of the chicken and do some things. Well, I was, you know, chasing after Riggs in the other part of the room. And uh, then I hear crying and I look over and he's on the floor and Rory says, he fell off his chicken. I said, how? How did this happen? Well, he, he kind of got up on it and just whoop, went over the top of it. Just, and so he's on his back, you know. Don't tell Cammie. She's not in here today. So then uh, we also have these little, these little table and chair set for uh, Rory to eat on sometimes. And so it's this, you know, Mickey Mouse type table and folding chairs. And they were getting into that. And so I put them away. And so now the chair's kind of folded. Well, I look over from across the room. And Rhett grabs a chair all folded up in front of him like this, throws it down onto his toes, and then starts crying. And I just, in that moment, I said, here's my sermon illustration tomorrow. We do what we want to do. This is going to be fun, but then it ends up hurting us, you know? And so all day doing the stuff they wanted to do, ended up banging their heads and foot and toes on stuff. Um, Disobedience to God hurts us. 
We try to run away from God because we think that he doesn't want the best for us, but he does. There's a story, uh, maybe you've heard it, of um, this woman who's headed home one evening after work, and she's driving, and she notices that the guy, the, the, there's a big truck behind her, and he's riding uncomfortably close. You ever had people like that, right? Things you want to do to people who ride you that close, right? So, so she's like, I'm going to get some speed up, get some distance between me and this truck, and to her surprise, this guy comes and, and gets right back on her. So now she's getting a little concerned. And so she pulls off the freeway, and the truck stays with her, just right on top of her. And she's at this point, she's beginning to panic a little bit. So she thought, well, I'll lose him in traffic on Main Street. So she whips on the Main Street, but the truck runs the red light to stay right on top of her. And so now she's like freaking out. So she pulls into the nearest gas station, jumps out of her car, running to the store, screaming, help, help. But in the meantime, the driver of the truck jumps out, runs to her car, slams open the door of her back seat, and pulls out a guy who was hiding in her back seat. From his vantage point of being higher up on a big truck, he could see in her back seat what would have been a rapist hiding, waiting for her. His, his pursuing her was not to harm her. It was to save her from what was in her vehicle. And um, when God pursues us, we think he wants us to steal. We think he wants to steal our fun. We think he wants to rob our joy. But he's like, I'm pursuing you because I know you're going to hurt yourself. There is danger all around you when you run from God, but praise God that he pursues us. Um, it's uh, interesting, on the Day of Atonement in uh, Jewish tradition, um, the Day of Atonement was their highest holy day. It was um, the day where they would make a, the high priest would make a sacrifice to cover the sins of the nation, go into the Holy of Holies, all of that. It was a day, it was this big festival for the Jewish people where they would uh, gather around and the kind of primary purpose of the festival was to remember uh, their sin, was to reflect on their sin and, uh, and God's goodness and grace for freeing them out of Egypt and saving them. And um, what they would do is this tradition, no one really totally knows exactly how this started, but as they would gather around to celebrate the Day of Atonement, they would pull out a book and read it. They would read the book of Jonah. And this would, they would do this every year. They would read the story of Jonah, and at the end of it, collectively, they would all say, I am Jonah. I am Jonah. And, and what they're saying is, we all have run from God. We all have uh, disobe disobeyed. As uh, Isaiah said, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to our own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. By doing this, they're saying, we all run from God like Jonah, but praise God that he chases us. That he pursues us. I've just been refreshed by this reality this week. That God doesn't give up. How many of you know like God could have found a different prophet to go to Nineveh? 
I mean, the contemporaries of Jonah was Hosea, Amos, some other biblical prophets. Could have sent one of them. Jonah, you want to leave? You want to go? Fine. <clears throat> go do that. I'll get someone else. But he didn't. He chased Jonah. He pursued him. He went after him. I am Jonah. I have disobeyed God and made a mess of my life, and I need a Savior. The good news is that there is a true and better Jonah who threw himself into the storm of God's judgment for us. There's a true and better Jonah that was buried for three days for us and then rose to set us free and to proclaim forgiveness of sins to his enemies. To calm the spiritual storm in your life and in my life. To give you a purpose. See, Jesus says, I am Jonah for you. You can't do it. You can't do it and make a mess of your life. But I am Jonah for you. I've taken the punishment of God for you. And what I offer you is life and peace and purpose. God didn't give up on me. He chased me. He showered me in His grace and His mercy. And He hasn't given up on you either. If you're here, if you're breathing, He's pursuing you. And this is not just a, a sermon for people who don't know the Lord. Jonah knew the Lord. So maybe, are you running from God? Have you, um, maybe you say all the right things and you know how to speak Christianese and, and do all of that? But have you actually, is your, how's your heart towards the things of God? Have you become apathetic towards God's call on your life and what God's doing in the world? Are you okay with never having anyone else come to know Jesus like you have? Is your heart cold to the work of God in your life and in the life of the local church and your community? Have you drifted from God? Have you become sleepy, so to say? Hey, just know God's pursuing you right now. And all you have to do is call out to Him. Surrender like the sailors did. Would you bow your head with me? Father in heaven, I thank you. Um, I thank you, God, for your word and that you have revealed yourself to us. You've spoken to us share with us, God, how we can know you. And I got, God, I just pray that today um, for all of us in the room, if there's any who are, uh, they believe you, but they're just cold to you right now, or, or maybe we've fallen asleep spiritually, Lord, that you'd wake us up today. You'd wake us up today. God, if there's anyone in the room who they would probably more identify with the sailors, like they don't they don't claim to be a follower of Jesus. They don't claim to be a Christian. They don't totally believe it all. God, they're, they're here. God, I pray that you would work in their heart right now. They see the circumstances are in their life are designed to, to grab a hold of their heart and to point them to you. And I pray that all of us afresh today would surrender totally to you, Jesus. That we would trust in you, the true and better Jonah who took the judgment of God on our behalf. 
and that we'd experience Him calm the storm in our life. But not just our life, though. I pray that we would obey the call you've given us to share this good news with those around us. Help us to walk with you this week, trust you, and be obedient to you. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.